Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. What seems insignificant when you have it is important when you don't. A thankful heart, said Cicero, is not only the greatest virtue, but the parent of all other virtues. And gratitude can transform common days into thanksgivings, turn routine jobs into joy, and change ordinary opportunities into blessings. These are some thoughts about gratitude, and it's Thanksgiving month. Someone said, My ex's cooking was so bad that I thought we had substituted Pearl Harbor Day for Thanksgiving. Well, be thankful for what you have. You'll end up having more. And if you concentrate on what you don't have, you will never, ever have enough. Ironically, Oprah said that last comment. Welcome to Food for Thought. It's Gratitude Month, and we are very thankful Our network of seven food banks are extremely busy and thankful for all of you who are listening, volunteering, serving, giving of your time, talent, and treasure during this season of gratitude. I'm thankful for this opportunity to work and serve in this great mission, to have this show and begin to change the conversation about food insecurity, as well as create concrete plans on how to get the mission accomplished. What a joy. I'm thankful for you the listener, who is using our show as a catalyst for conversations in your place of work and service. Let's keep talking, planning, and working to create food security across Michigan so no senior, no child, and no one in between is at risk of hunger in the days to come. Jerry and I will be right back with our special guest, Scott Piggott, the CEO for the Michigan Farm Bureau. Come back and be with us. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Welcome back, everyone. It's Food for Thought here on WJR. Dr. Phil Knight here. Jerry Brisson, president and CEO of the Gleaners Community Food Bank and the chairman for the Food Bank Council of Michigan Board of Directors. Jerry, great to have you, as always, in the studio. And we have an exciting show today. It is. It's always great to be here. And, uh, you know, probably the best thing about being here is when we have guests like we have today. So let's get right to that. I'm I'm with you. I really appreciate the phone interviews that we do, but I really love the in-studio because we can just, I just think it's so much cooler. And the coolest of that is Scott Piggott, who is the CEO for Michigan Farm Bureau. And Scott, welcome to WJR. I am so glad to be here. And good morning, gentlemen. So, Scott, we had you on the show earlier in the year, and we we hunted you down, and you were in the halls of Congress um, lobbying on behalf of our farmers and agriculture sector here in Michigan. And um, so I know that's a big part of your job, but let's start at Michigan Farm Bureau. And I think everybody will quickly recognize that Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan is the uh, title sponsor for Food for Thought. And uh, it's the same but different. With Michigan Farm Bureau, it's it's different, but we're all one family, uh, a great family of companies that a group of farmers came together in 1919, and uh, they knew that they wanted to stand together because their voice would be better heard. 
So those group of farmers uh, created a board of directors, uh, created a, a county farm bureau structure that's still very strong and living today in 65 county farm bureaus. In 1949, wow. we decided to create an insurance company to help farmers who, were, who had a hard time getting good insurance out on their farms. And uh, it's grown ever since. Uh, great uh, mantra for our insurance company that we protect uh, the people of Michigan from the, from the threats and the risks of everyday life. And uh, we've worked very hard at Michigan Farm Bureau to protect our farmers and the way of life that they enjoy on farms. So I'm blessed with having 40 plus thousand bosses out there. And uh, <laughs> they know how to find me and they find me often. Right. Uh, so yeah, multiple blessings for working for a great farm organization. And uh, the farmers uh, that I work for are the best people in the world. Well, I can believe that for sure. And uh, I've had the privilege to attend your uh, conference that happens in the first part of December over the last couple of three years. And uh, you can't be in the room with this many farmers and not just, I, I, I'm going to say, reconnect or connect to um, some of the things in life that make us the best of who we are. I mean, they are just the princes of of our state and and we've had them on the show here for a farm bureau moment and uh it's been it's been a very powerful uh relationship for us at the food bank council as well you know when i when i'm blessed to have the time to we we spend as staff and and the folks that work for farmers we spend a lot of time on their farms uh we get to see them at meetings uh they're impressive in that they're great independent business people they're great members of rural communities and uh, when they come in as a group of leaders, whether it's our annual meeting, uh, our annual meeting is, is 500 farmers from around the state representing right. each other uh, and really talking through tough issues. How can we best help the citizens of the state make sure they have food? How do we export food better than what we do today? How do we protect the environment? Um, but also, when they come together as a, as a board of directors, our board at Michigan Farm Bureau, they're all, all farmers, and they do a, a great job of discerning what are the issues of the day that affect our farmers first and foremost, and, and what's our role in, in helping them to deal with those? Uh, we're very blessed to have great leaders in our organization. They, uh, they do a wonderful job of representing their folks. And doesn't Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and Michigan Farm Bureau, you share the same board of directors except you have two additional spots, I think. Yep, we share the same board. Uh, we always try to keep an ear uh, to the ground with our younger farmers. Mm -hmm. So uh, our younger farmers out there making sure that they're uh, creating leadership, we're creating leadership opportunities for them. So we have a, a spot on our board for a, a young farmer representative. And we also spend a, a lot of time uh, helping both the public and in schools try to better understand what is agriculture. Uh, how can we better help the, the public to see the work that we do on our farms. So we have one representative that is our promotion and education committee, and they also have a seat on our board of directors. Right, right. You know, one of my favorite things about farmers, and I, well, I grew up on a farm, so let me just say I have a little vested interest in this. <laughs> I, I grew up on a Christmas tree farm, so up in, in, in northern Michigan, and, and so grew up with different sorts of farmers, but nonetheless, uh, same basic issues. And I think farmers understand the variability of life more than anyone, because a lot of what they have to contend with is really and truly not predictable exactly. I mean, you might have a sense of what the weather's going to be and how 
much rain there's going to be and, you know, those sorts of things. But nonetheless, you're dealing with life's variability and it, and it just sort of happens to you. So when we talk about the people we serve and how life happens, nobody really understands that better than farmers. That's how they have to live their life. And so I like what you said about, um, you know, helping people deal with everyday risks. I mean, none of us know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, but we can prepare better or worse for whatever that is. And so, you know, there's so much we have in common with the way we see the world and the way farmers see the world because of those things. I think, Jerry, that you mentioned a little bit of farming in your in your heart. I think everybody's got a little farming in their heart. <laughs> a little, you know, great-grandpa, uncle that they spent time on the farm. And whenever I introduce myself and say that I work for farms and that I, I live and work on a farm, they they want to identify with me. Yeah, I spent summers on my uncle's farm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, when, when I ask them what they do and they say they help build cars in, in Detroit, that doesn't mean that uh, I'm going to say, hey, I built, you know, I drive a car. We've got so much in common. <laughs> it's not innate. Um, but I think people want to identify themselves with folks who work on farms and growing up that way. Well, come back and be with us in the next segment. Scott Pickett is here. He is the CEO for the Michigan Farm Bureau. Jerry Bassan will be with us. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We'll be back in just a moment. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to uh, follow us here on WJR every Sunday evening. And if you're missing any of our cast, our our shows, our podcast, you can find us at foodsecuremichigan.org. And uh, download the podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes. And meanwhile, in the studio, Scott Pickett is here. He's the CEO for the Michigan Farm Bureau. And Scott, um, as often happens in between the segments here in the show, uh, in the studio, we start to have a great show. And you just said some great stuff that I don't think a lot of us realize about the impact of farming and agriculture has on the state of Michigan. Well, Jerry mentioned that people learn stuff when they they get the chance to sit and listen for a second. Farmers love to sit and listen, too, because we love to learn. Uh, And there's a lot of us. Uh, There's over 40,000 farmers in our state, all different sizes, shapes. Uh, Some are organic farms. Some some use traditional methods. We got fish farmers. We got over 300 different commodities in our state. Um, We're growing in so many different areas trying to add value to our products. And those farmers touch one quarter of the land base in our state. They are the caretakers of that land base. Um, They love uh, raising things that people enjoy and that uh, they see value in. Uh, It's innate to who they are and what they do. Uh, I I hope that people truly do understand that when they pass the farm fields as they leave cities or as they're headed home, that somebody truly cares about that land and that that land is producing something for them. And and you mentioned also the the total number of acres in the state of Michigan and how much of those acres are farmed. Yeah, 38 million acres in the entire state and 10 million acres are farmed. And farming takes different forms. We've got orchards. We're blessed. Uh, we're growing uh, some industries like the hops industry continues to grow. Right. Uh, from my understanding, I think we, we make more beer in our state than we make wine these days. Um, my, my bottom line when it comes to all the things we do, whether someone's making sweet peppers or if they're making corn or if they're raising beef cattle like we do on our farm, um, Love every one of them. I want them to fill every niche that they possibly can because in the end, the people who decide who, uh, what gets eaten in our state or, or what products we used are the consumers. Right, right. Jerry, I mean, did you have any idea that a f- 
quarter of the land in Michigan is used for agriculture, for farming? You know, I, I have this, the the track running in my head. So what am I thinking about is the Michigan agricultural surplus system, right? Right. And, and how... You know, we work directly with these farms, and there are so many, and we've gotten to meet, uh, I mean, all as you talk about people, I have faces and names going in my head, but right. people who have supported us um, by letting us know, okay, I've got products that I, I, I haven't been able to sell. They need to be harvested, and it's one of the things the state of Michigan does for us is connect the dots between us and them so that we can get that product right off the farm at the lowest possible cost to help the people we serve. Now, I'm looking at 10 million acres thinking, I bet we could do more of this. That's what's going on in my head, right? So you had once a food banker, always a food banker. You know, that sounds like an opportunity. Well, and, and right now, some of the challenges that we face in agriculture, we'd like to be able to get more product off the farms and off the fields. Uh, one of our biggest challenges we face is having adequate labor supply, folks that want to go out, come out and work on farms. Um, Farmers themselves can do a lot to be in, in mechanization and, and good machines have helped us to be able to harvest more. But when you only represent one to two percent of the population and you're you're feeding uh, the world, uh, you got to have folks that uh, can come out and help. I've uh, in in the things learn learning I've done with Phil over the years. Um, when I think about some of our rural areas and some of the issues that we deal with with food scarcity for some kids and not being able to have what they need to, to in their bellies to study uh, on a given night, uh, it, it rings true with our farmers. They don't want that to happen, so they work with groups like you mm-hmm. to get more food out into, into the system. Um, it weighs on their minds, the, the rural communities, uh, that my farmers, they can't move their land. Of that land that they're farming, it's it's there, right? And they rely on rural communities, good rural schools, and uh, they rely on we we as a state. I love it when people uh, love to live in cities because I'd like to keep farming out in the countryside. Uh, <laughs> it, our farmers are very uh, thoughtful and very considerate of those that have less than what they need when it comes to food. So I think of the West Michigan Food Bank Council, 220 farmers that I know of that donate to it regularly. Um, kind hearts and an understanding that if we don't have strong communities and strong cities, uh, we're not a successful Michigan. And right. you just mentioned a, a systematic reality, and this is how we're going to solve hunger. So you mentioned that labor and and the struggle with getting the right labor to the right places at the right time is creating a surplus of unharvested food mm-hmm. and and that's how we have to be thinking yep. and and if we're going to solve food security we have to do more and better and so putting that in front of us okay so here's the issue that if we solve it it's going to create an opportunity to have more food at the lowest possible cost because you can't get food cheaper than right off the farm, mm-hmm. right? It is the lowest possible cost in the food chain. So now we know we've got an opportunity. So who do we need at the table to discuss that opportunity to address the labor issue in the and again, the most cost-effective way and how much food can that free up for the system so that we can drive better results for our communities? And that is how we're changing the conversation. So I didn't want to let that moment go by because that's exactly why we do the show is to say here, community of people listening, we really appreciate you, but we're not kidding around. We really are trying to to understand exactly where the problems are and bring the right people to the conversation that can solve them. 
Well, one of the six companies that's is a part of the Michigan Farm Bureau, sure. your side of the house, as we say, yeah. is a, a, a company that you formed, you and your team created in order to help with the labor issue. Yep. So a couple of years ago, we had farmers coming to us and just saying, we're, we're advertising in papers. Uh, we can't find people to help us pick Honeycrisp apples. We can't find people to help us pick asparagus. Uh, we grow a lot of asparagus in the Wolchiana County area of, of Michigan, uh, some done in the southwestern portion. Uh, we have folks with greenhouses that, you know, they've got great jobs to offer. They just can't find people to fill them. Uh, we are not innately helping our kids to understand that that type of work is good work and that, you know, go out and work on a farm in the summertime. Uh, but the need is greater than that, too. Uh, in our dairy industry, we continue to struggle to have adequate labor to help milk cows. Um, so we have a growing food need. There's no doubt about that globally and within our, our state. Um, how do we get, to your point, Jerry, how do we get that food to where it needs to be? Uh, we left uh, two two years ago over a million pounds of asparagus in the field just because we didn't have folks to pick it. Right. Um, that's a million pounds. I mean, that's a substantial number. Yeah. And, and I don't... The company that we started is the intent is we're using the the, the legal H-2A program uh, after we advertise in the paper for multiple periods of time in accordance with law uh, to be able to bring in workers. Uh, we're bringing them from Mexico through the legal program. This last year, this year, we'll be bringing in 1,500 workers, and this is just the second full year of production with the company. Um, and I, it's, it, if I had my drudges, I'd have folks come from Michigan that would want to work and pick apples and asparagus. In the absence of finding that, uh, the folks that we bring up from places like Mexico, they're really good at it. They're really good at it, and, and they're making more money here in six weeks than they make a year in Mexico. Hmm. They come in, they have job descriptions, we have folks on, on site to be able to help to, to patch in what are all the things that we need to do to meet the law. They've got great housing while they're here. They know how long they're going to be here, and then we handle transportation uh, to help them get to and fro. Um, it's it's taken a little bit of pressure off of the system, but not enough. It's uh, Agriculture is going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to mechanize. We're going to continue to see advances in science. But in the end, uh, we have labor-intense things around many of the products, like fresh asparagus, like those great Honeycrisp apples and others that people love. So, you know, when you when we talk about doing food for thought, changing the conversation of the show, uh, and you think about all the different places in society that food insecurity touches, and you think about creating the solution and so that we can solve hunger by creating food security, I mean, you probably never think about labor in the field as being one of those primary issues. And that, as you said, Jerry, is why we do the show. Mm -hmm. And that's why we are excited to have guests like Scott Piggott, the CEO for the Michigan Farm Bureau, who can bring this to light to us and to our listeners and help us craft this blueprint that addresses all these issues that are affecting our inability to create food security. So we're gonna keep talking with Scott. Jerry and I will be right back here on Food for Thought in just a moment. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. 
Welcome back, everyone. Scott Pickett is here in the studio with Jerry and I. He is the CEO for the Michigan Farm Bureau. And Scott, you got a couple of things I want to make sure to cover with you. So let's dig right into that. And I think a lot of the work with Michigan Farm Bureau has to do with advocacy on behalf of the farming and agricultural. And of course, we have share a lot of um, positions, I would say. Sure. And, uh, and starting federally all the way through the, the new farm bill, um, SNAP and all the way down to th- policies and procedures that are uh, here in Michigan. Sure. So jump, just jump in the deep end of the pool there with me. The deep end of the pool is uh, it starts with our grassroots. Everything comes from the bottom up in our organization. Um, I mentioned that we got a lot of county, county farm bureaus out there, great leaders inside those counties, and every year uh, our farmers tell us what's on their minds. We have right. a great policy development process. They get together at the county level. They come up with uh, the concerns that they have, but also the solutions that they're looking for. Uh, we had over we had over 800 different ideas come in from our county farm bureaus about policies this and year that, alone. That filters up to the annual meeting. The next uh, step: 20 farmers get together. They filter through all of them. They read every one of them. Wow. They'll call people at 10 o'clock at night saying, "Hey, you submitted this idea. What were you thinking?" And it freaks people out sometimes. Uh, it all culminates. Those 20 farmers give a, a good offering of what. Here are all the ideas that were submitted. Here they're kind of cleaned up. And uh, for three days uh, this year in Grand Rapids, our farmer members go through every last one of them and vote them up and down. Um, they have great discourse on the floor. They uh, they can disagree with each other, and, and then they can hug in the hallway afterwards. Um, we are very blessed to have solid policy developed that really becomes the marching orders for our staff. Those are the things, and you can ask any legislator, you can ask our governor, you can ask the president of the United States. It is a consistent message that comes from Farm Bureau because it was created by our farmers. Uh, at, the, at the local scale, at the state scale, uh, we also have a national affiliate that we work with, our American Farm Bureau Federation, right. which links every state has a Farm Bureau, and including uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, which we, you know, we reached out to them to try to help them through the most recent national uh, natural disasters they've had. Um, salt of the earth folks that have great ideas that filter all the way up. We work on everything from how do we protect uh, water quality to uh, a next farm bill that provides a good safety net for not just our farmers, but for folks who uh, who need a, a hand up when it comes to eating something and uh, and using those pro- programs. That's right. Well, you know, I think that. Feeding America, which all of our food banks and, uh, of course, the Food Bank Council are members of is a national organization. And I think that uh, they work hand in hand well Mm -hmm. with the American Farm Bureau and particularly in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Uh, We've been working together well during that crisis. Great partners. Great partners. So, um, you know, so you and I have had a couple of conversations about, uh, I'm going to say a project that's very special and dear to your heart. Mm-hmm. And um, I love it because I've been on it. I've seen it. <laughs> and uh, it, so tell us about a little bit about this project that helps kids understand that food doesn't come from the corner store. That's true. And, and worse than the corner store, um, hopefully they think it at least comes from a bigger grocery store where you can get some good healthy food. Right. Um, or a farmer's <laughs> market. Sure. Um, so from, from our standpoint, we've always known that we want to help people to understand where the food comes from. And we want them to have a little bit of understanding in their mind that there's somebody out there making this for them. 
So a couple of years ago, we have a, a great group of people who really helped to reach out to schools. We've had a strong Ag in the Classroom program where we'll have some of our farmers read, uh, read books inside of schools, but also uh, we have great lessons plans that we work on with, with science teachers, uh, plant-based lesson plans, help them to understand how pollinators work, um, why plants do what they do, how do, we, how do you get food from the ground. Uh, two years ago, our, our farmers embarked on a special project. We've created a mobile science lab that travels to schools. We did our pilot last year. We reached 7,500 students in just six months. Uh, it's a partnership with teachers and schools around the state. 40-foot-long science trailer filled with iPads and, and a microscope uh, that we can show DNA uh, as, it's, as it lives in a cell up on a screen. Uh, we talk to kids about um, soil and how you can plant seeds and how seeds work. Um, it's been a fantastic beginning. We, uh, we're going to continue to grow our program, continue to grow our reach. Uh, the mobile science, program, so mobile science lab is booked for the next year and a half, uh, so it's on the road. And yeah. we're working uh, tremendously with some great teachers and, uh, and really hoping to, to share with kids not just where food comes from, but healthy eating, mm-hmm. a better understanding that, that food's not so far away from them, that they can grow something. So uh, give us learning. an example of what happens with the kids. So the kids come in, they see a DNA from a plant or whatever it is up on the screen. What happens to the kids? You know, there's the, the mobile science lab can hold about 30 kids at any given time. So they've, a group of three will have an iPad in front of them. They're part of the experiment. So they get to understand why they're looking at a cell up on the screen. Uh, it's a bit like herding cats or frogs in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> uh, you try to put 30 kids inside of a, of a trailer, basically, <laughs> and trying to keep their attention. It's a great partnership with the teachers, but some fantastic aha moments. Um, the, 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 it's always run by a certified teacher. It's all based in STEM uh, learning. It's uh, teachers were part of developing all of the curriculums. And uh, to, to listen to, a, we asked the question, can you tell us what agriculture is? And the, the answers are all over the board. But every once in a while, a kid will say, isn't it just farming? It's a great answer, and it's fun to hear. Huh. I love it. What's the future for that project, Scott? You know, other states, um, you know, the best thing about having partners in other states, uh, other state farm bureaus, is uh, you rip off and duplicate R&D, uh, a lot of things that other states <laughs> yeah. do. Um, I'd love to continue. That never happens no. in food banking. Yeah. Gosh, no. <laughs> it never happens more than 10 times a day. <laughs> I would love to uh, repeat some of, the, some of the great work that's been done in states like Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has uh, multiple trailers, multiple science labs on the road, uh, relationships with hundreds of teachers across their state, and they reached one million students uh, since the onset of the program. Uh, I'd love to be able to see a time when the mobile science lab could come and and inspire kids, but maybe we could work with some partners to get some some, uh, hydroponic systems inside of classrooms. Can Can we help them to not just see what it means, but to do it inside their classrooms? Right. To be able to to understand and, and make it part of a curriculum and to, to know that they can grow something in the future. Uh, I would love to see the program grow to the point where we can really follow up with the kids as they move through their, their paces. And I'd love to continue to talk on partnerships. How do we partner with Gleaners and the Food Bank Council and other providers 
to make sure that we talk about how some of those kids, the, the only meal they get in a given day is, is by going to school. And how could we follow up the efforts of a mobile science lab and, and, and plant-based or agricultural farming curriculums to help tie together the idea that, that food comes along with that? Do you, do you think you could imagine putting in the science lab how their muscles will develop when they learn to pick asparagus? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying there, there might be a connection there to think about. You know, a wonderful exercise in helping the kids understand what it means to harvest something. What it, the, the pride that comes from picking something that you raised yourself. Hmm. Um, I think maybe that'll stimulate some of those muscles. The, big, the best muscle that we're trying to stimulate is their brain and their hearts to understand that there's more to uh, eating and to sustaining ourselves than uh, what they can get out of a wrapper at a, at a corner store. That's, that's excellent, Scott. I mean, um, I, we know each other. In fact, I have a, uh, you don't have one of these, but I have uh, uh, an autographed original <laughs> Scott Piggott carving. Oh. And uh, if you go through the annual conference, you'll have the opportunity to bid on yep. one. And uh, what's I got to ask you at the uh, what's the what's the project for this uh, for this year? Actually, I'm almost finished with it. Um, I love my wife uh, smiles at me. Um, I need some time to get the knots out of my neck. So I'll wake up at four in the morning. If I'm not farming, if I'm not working at uh, at the office, if I'm not spending time with her or the kids, I like woodworking. So uh, I cut down my own trees out of our family's woods, and I've got a stack of oak and stack of black walnut. Uh, two years ago was a little miniature combine. Uh, had over 150 pieces in it. Uh, the the piece that Phil got was a loader tractor with a wagon on the back that dumps and the loader goes up and down. This year are uh, semis. One's a grain hauler, one's a livestock hauler, about 30 inches long, about 9 inches tall, black walnut and oak, and uh, i got to start putting them together this weekend to be able to make it for the state annual. So I'm pretty excited about, you know, I want to get a... A, a second one, you know, so it's pretty cool. And and where does that money, t- we bid on those at the yeah. annual meeting, and where does that money go? All goes to the Michigan Foundation for Agriculture. Um, they are the, the founding place of our mobile science lab, but also the work that we do. We have an initiative called Harvest for All, work directly with the food bank councils and local pantries. Our young farmer program uh, is, a, is a leader of that. All those dollars go directly to either that program or they go to our foundation where we can continue to reach out to kids and help them learn about their food. He's Scott Piggott. He's the CEO for the Michigan Farm Bureau. He's our friend. He's our partner. And Scott, it's been a joy to have you here on the on Food for Thought. I very much enjoyed it. Thank you so much. We'll be right back in just a moment to wrap up today's show. Jerry and I will be right here. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry, you got to love Scott Pickett. Yeah, a great conversation and so many interesting things to talk about. And it just reminds me, until you start doing something that someone else is spending their life doing, right? you just don't know what they're doing. I mean, it's like, wow, that that Michigan Farm Bureau is doing a lot of things I don't spend any time thinking about. But as he's talking about it, I'm going, boy, that's important. Boy, that's important. Gosh, right. that's really important. Hmm, there's a lot of important things going on out here. And there's a lot of perspective there that we normally wouldn't take into consideration, even when we're talking about our mission. 
But as he says, both in private and now publicly here on the show, our missions are so closely aligned. Yeah, I mean, so what came to me as I as we're talking with him is, you know, there is no blueprint to end hunger in Michigan that doesn't involve Michigan farms. There is no blueprint to end hunger in Michigan that doesn't involve Michigan farms. And, you know, you listen to how much he knows from his work with farmers about where the opportunities are. Now, you could call those challenges. Oh, but no. but I think our way of thinking and, and part of changing the conversation is to see those challenges as opportunities, specific problems to solve. We're smart enough to solve them. We're working on solving them. And we're talking about them right here on this show. And and if you keep listening, you will hear these solutions return in what ways? In food to people that need it and yeah. in ways that our system gets better, not just to make farming better, but to make the whole community better because we're learning how to best take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah. So what are some of those areas where it's going to be better? So the end game for us is that the highest value in the food chain, so to speak, is that people have access to healthy, nutritious food and right. enough of it. Right? right. So from that, from that starting point, uh, he Scott mentioned that a couple of years ago we left a million pounds of asparagus in the field. Right. So what's the impact of that? Well, I think we all have a sensitivity about food waste that we've never had before in our society as a whole. When we recognize that 43% of the food that's going into the landfill as waste is coming out of our own refrigerators. Right. Right. So this is a powerful... If, you, if your concern may not be about what ours is, which is access to healthy, nutritious food for people who are food insecure, but you have a more of an interest in the environment. Okay. Right. That fits. <laughs> right. On. That fits because it's all connected. It's all connected. So, and asparagus is a really good example of as we get better at producing food, and we are going to keep getting better at producing food. Because With less waste. That's right. And as we get better at that... Um, we're going to have to find ways to deal with things like labor. Right. And not just labor, but skilled labor. And, and well, you might say, well, how skilled do you have to be to pick asparagus? To you, I would say, go try and pick it. <laughs> yeah. And see how skilled you I have to be. Right? And it's, it's certainly a physical skill, right? There's, there's a dexterity that you need. There's a certain stamina and endurance that you need. But there's also a knowledge of... The, the length of a spear of asparagus is a critically thing a critical thing to know if you're doing that work. Well, those are all skills. And you might say, well, how long does it take to learn that skill? Well, I would say, well, why don't you go try? Right. You know what? It takes a it, certain well, What it does is give you a deeper appreciation for the, the work that is being done and the work that's not being done. Exactly right. And then you can begin to appreciate, okay, there's a million pound opportunity both for the market and for people who need healthy food that aren't getting it today, that if we can solve this problem of a certain kind of skilled labor for picking asparagus, we can address both those problems. And if we fix the market problem, that creates resources to fix the other problem too. Absolutely. So these are solutions that pay for themselves. And again, we ask the question, who wins when we win? Well, the market's going to win here. This isn't just about charity. This is about how to put business and charity together so that you can find solutions where everybody wins. Yeah. How exciting is that? I think that's the answer. I mean, or at least a huge part of the answer as we move forward to saying, okay, we haven't solved food security for our communities yet. And I think one of the biggest reasons is that we haven't connected those dots well enough to show how business and charity wins so that the whole community wins. 
One of the points that I think Scott made um, eloquently was about this labor issue in that, you know, that farming does offer um, opportunities and it's like it's a couple of generations past and we're not promoting it that in in some of the off in between segment conversation, I think we kind of all arrived at that moment where we recognize that we're not really promoting these these skills, these opportunities and what a life in agriculture can really mean to someone. Well, truly, and we just finished the self-sufficiency study. It's still fairly new, and we're still using it to help educate ourselves about what are jobs that pay a living wage. Well, promoting some of the opportunities in farming as a way to make a living wage with a fair amount of independence is a really interesting idea. And we know that we need those opportunities in our state so that people don't need assistance to meet their basic needs. Yep. I love it, man. I love it. Well, you're a thought leader for sure. And uh, thanks for always expressing your thoughts here on Food for Thought. Well, right back at you, doctor. It's great for us to be here. And uh, again, what an opportunity to engage our whole community on these really significant issues. It's, It's exciting. So here's a little food for thought. The average American will gain seven pounds between Thanksgiving and New Year's Day. This should be a problem for all Americans, not just those of us who can choose to be gluttons. Too much food to eat, not because we are too little food that forces us to stretch the food dollar and buy poorer quality food that adversely affects our weight and therefore our health. That's not a good choice. It is a simple yet profound concept. Let's try and see what happens when we can place food first in people's lives. Let's get everyone access to healthy, nutritious food. Take hunger off the table and see what great decisions people are now able to make without living under the toxic stress of food insecurity. That's right, folks. Simple but profound. So until next week, thanks for listening. He's Jerry Prasan. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and you can catch up to our episodes on foodsecuremichigan.org. And remember, it's simple but profound. Food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.